Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. first scripture today comes from Psalm chapter 113. Praise the Lord. Praise those servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time on and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and earth? He raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is taken from 1 Samuel. This has to do with Hannah and her prayer. We are in the second chapter, 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 through 10. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. There is no holy one like the Lord, no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. But those who were hungry are fat with spoil. The barren has been born seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life, brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich, brings low, he also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might does one prevail. The Lord, his adversaries shall be shattered. The Most High will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So years ago, Anne Lamott is uh, an author, theologian, 
And she wrote in her book called Traveling Mercies, a book that I've heard preached many times for this particular reason. She has broken down the conundrum of prayer into two simple categories. She said, there are only two real prayers that we pray. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, and help me, help me, help me, God. And not too long after that, she wrote another book adding to make this pair a trilogy for her book, her book titled Help, Thank You, and Wow. When you think about that, I agree with that structure. Those three things are central in our lives, our connection with God. When we were raising our girls to pray, we started very simply with those two words. We would start with thank yous. Thank you for all the many blessings that we have in our lives, and we would name those. And then we would move to help. Help for whatever's going on in our lives. And as those prayers of the people can do, kind of expands out to areas of our knowledge, whether that's other family members, whether it's church, community, family, friends, the world. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And help me, help me, help us. And then, wow. If you remember last week, we looked at Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, the calling of Isaiah, how the temple was filled with smoke, how the seraphim came down and brought tongs with charcoal and touched his lips. He says, I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. And this little winged heavenly thing comes up touches the charcoal on his, the coal on his lips and purified him to which he responded, here am I ready for service. And God used him as one of the major prophets in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament. But that sense of majesty, of wonder, we talked about reclaiming that that we often put God in our box. We think we know enough of how God works, but yet we forget. We cannot fully understand and fully know God. God is too glorious and majestic, nor should we try to take away the mystery that is God. All of that goes into wow today. So we have these three simple prayers. Thank you, help me, wow. When we look at Hannah, she encompasses all three of these. Let's take a step back and look at this passage from a, a bigger biblical perspective. So we're kind of early Old Testament in 1 Samuel. So if we start at the very beginning of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, we have our first five books, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That is the Pentateuch, that word means five, the first five books. The Torah for our Jewish friends, the, the law the giving of the law. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. All of that attributed to Moses as Moses right at the end of that was getting ready to end his life in service. And if you remember, Moses got him to the promised land, but because Moses claimed some of the credit 
uh, that was rightfully God. God showed him, took him over the mountain and said, there it is, but you can't get there. And so Moses died before he entered the promised land. And as you know, they were there at the promised land to claim it, except there were other people there who didn't want to go. This was their homeland. And then we move to Joshua, the next book in the Old Testament. General Joshua, his job was to seize the Holy Land, to give God's people this land flowing with milk and honey. First, there was bloody mess. The book of Joshua is difficult. It is hard. A lot of God-sanctioned violence and death in there as that land was reclaimed. After Joshua, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. I have to sing my song so I get all the books right. Then we go to Judges. And as is our continued tradition, then as they started their relationship with God, they would turn toward God for a while, turn away from God for a while, turn back to God for a while, turn away from God for a while. And every time they turned away, God would send, in this case, Judges in the book of Judges. So you have people like Gideon and Deborah and uh, Samson that we know of from that book and have heard about. And they were not kings. They were not necessarily prophets, although Deborah fit that category too. Um, they were there to bring the people militarily back to the land that they have just been knocked out of. So when they would turn away from God, God would allow them to be beaten and occupied and then send them one of these judges that would help reconcile, bring them home to reclaim their land. Not kings, not straight prophets as we know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the biggies, but judges. Then, right at the end of the book of Judges, the people get upset because all the cool countries have kings, and they don't. All the other countries are kicking sand in their faces, saying, well, you don't even have a king. So they cry out toward the end of the book of Judges, and they said, God, we would like a king. And God says, I, I'm your king. I'm enough. You don't need more. And they continue, and God says, you, you know what a king's going to do? A king is going to take your sons for war, your daughters to help run the, uh, the palace, the administration. A king is going to take a tenth of everything that you own from your property to your crops to your cattle. You will be at the whim of this king, and God lays out this case, and they say, that's great, we want a king. The very last verse in the book of Judges is, and the people did what was right in their sight because they had no king, which means things were turning to chaos. There was one, not one unified leader. They wanted a king. So then they moved. The very next book is Ruth. Great little book inserted here. Ruth was a Moabite. She wasn't even part of the house and family of Israel. She, her husband died. Remember her mother-in-law, Naomi? Her husband died and another sister, Orpah. All the men died. And so 
Ruth says to her mother-in-law, Naomi, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Those words that may sound somewhat familiar. And so Naomi goes home. Ruth goes with her to Boaz, Boaz's farm, patriarch of that family. He allows her to sleep on the floor. He allows her to glean from his crops. If you know that word glean, it means farmers will allow people in this case, in need to go into their crops and take some that may have, whatever the crop is, may have fallen off the ground so that they can eat and be sustained. It's an outreach from the farmer, in this case, Boaz. And they get to know each other, and wouldn't you know it, they fall in love. And from Boaz and Ruth, they have Obed. Obed has Jesse, and Jesse is the father of David, who becomes King David. So if you remember when we get around the time of Christmas, it talks about that line, that lineage that connects Jesus to the house, the monarchy, the house of David. It comes from Jesse, the the stump of Jesse and the root um, that becomes David and so forth. And then from Ruth, we get to 1 Samuel. So in Samuel, Samuel is the prophet that's being born in this story. And then will also be the prophet that ushers in the monarchy. First and second Samuel will tell the stories of Saul and David. Uh, Solomon is also born later on in Samuel. And then first and second Kings uh, right after this carry that line on. So we're right in the phase where the monarchy is beginning. The people have begged and asked. God says, okay, you want it, you got it. But here, Hannah is our hero. Now, who is Hannah? Okay, there's a guy named Elkanah. That's the male, and he has two wives. His first wife is Penina. Anybody know a Penina? Well, we ought to bring that name. Well, maybe we should not. Um, And she had no problem having children. She had several boys, several girls. The next generation was assured through Elkanah, through Penina. So culturally, she was the favored one. And here we have Hannah. Hannah not able to conceive, not able to have children. And she is a mess. She is marginalized. If you could not conceive in those days, you were seen as being punished by God because of your sins. Terrible. So she could not have children, and the role of women in that day was to provide heirs for the family to continue the family. So not only did the culture look at Hannah with contempt, you must have done something awful not to be able to have children. But then Penina kind of rubbed her face in it, kind of bullied her a little bit. Oh, you want to come play with my children? Why can't you have children like I do? So finally, Hannah says enough is enough. And she goes to 
the, the tent, this is the tabernacle. This is before the first temple is built. Solomon does that. We're, we're not to Saul, David, then Solomon who builds the first temple. We're not there yet. Excuse me. So they're still in tents and tabernacles, but that's the holy worship site. site. So she goes and she's praying fervently to God. Eli, the priest of the day, sees her, sees her mouth moving but no words, and assumes she's drunk and says, drunken woman, get out. This is not the place for you. And she says, oh no, I am not drunk as you assume, but rather I am crushed. I'm coming to give myself to God. And in this time, she makes a deal with God. She said, if you allow me to conceive, bear a child, no alcohol will touch his lips. I will dedicate him to you, give him to you, and no razor shall touch his hair. That was symbolic. That was what was done by the Nazarite people. If you remember uh, uh, Samson, what was his weakness? Where was his strength? It was all about the hair. Um, that was a sign of their commitment and covenant to God. So Hannah says, if you allow me to have this baby, I will give this baby to you in the temple won't ever drink, and will let his hair go as a sign that he is yours. And guess what? Comes through. God comes through here. She has a child. She has a baby boy. Uh, and, and before that, El Elkanah, the husband, trying to help her. She is depressed. Her life is miserable. And he says kind of a stupid guy thing to his wife. He says, she, he can tell she's upset and kind of depressed. And, and he says, well, I know you can't have children, but aren't I worth at least 10 children? Mm -hmm. uh, no. <laughs> he doesn't get it. But we know he also loved Hannah more because he gave her more portions in the sacrificial meals than he did Penina. So that was also little other, other dynamics there. So child is born. And after child is about three years old, she names him Samuel, which has to do with asking questions of God and takes him to the temple to honor her part of the bargain. So Eli's there. Here is the child. She says, remember me? A few years ago, you thought I was drunk. I wasn't. I asked God to help. God did. And now I'm giving this child to you to keep and raise in the temple. No strong drink. Let the hair go. He will be yours. And so she leaves him with Eli, this baby, and this is when she writes her song. She joins the tradition of other women in especially the Old Testament, one in the New, who write songs when amazing things are going on. Uh, Miriam, Moses' sister, after the Exodus, writes her song. Deborah uh, has a song, the prophetess, in Judges. And even in Luke 1, after Mary, the mother of Jesus, finds out she's going to have him, she writes her what they refer to as the Magnificat, this song of praise 
And here, Hannah does the same. It's a song and a prayer. One commentator said she is the most holy woman in the Old Testament. Why? Well, because she goes up to the tabernacle by herself. No other woman is recorded doing that. Her prayers is among the longest in the Old Testament. She mentions God some uh, 16 to 18 times. She honors a vow that she made and God made to her. All of those things together were unique. So Hannah is special. And so here we get to our thank you. Well, we start with our help. Then we get to our thank you and our wow. So in the beginning of this, she obviously comes to God, as we've already covered, with what is her help? Help me, I can't have a child. And again, as difficult as it is for families who want children and can't have them nowadays, it was that much worse back in the day. Again, society judged by the ability to produce children. And doing some internet searches, I noticed a lot of Hannah's websites and different organizations that were geared from this passage to help those who are trying to conceive and having a longer road at it. So it was kind of interesting this is applied to that. So she started with the help. Have you ever asked God for help? Ever? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I'm going to tell you a few stories as we continue to get to know each other about me and experiences that I've had in this area. So when I was five or six, I lived in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, home of the mighty Pittsburgh Steelers, six-time Super Bowl champs. Mm -hmm. And we were in kind of a rural, wooded area in this time. I lived there a couple of times growing up. And my friend Carmen McDonald, who lived a couple of houses down, it was, it was back in the day where the door was opened in the morning and you got kicked out and said, we'll see you at dinner. And so we just went out and played in the woods. Great. So this particular day, we go and find what is this, what looked to my six-year-old eyes, a huge ravine. It was this big ditch, in other words, but it was huge. And coming out from one side, there were rocks, jagged, that looked to us like you could climb down those rocks to the bottom. So I said, I'll try that. <laughs> so I step down, take a few steps, and I slip, and I slide all the way down to the bottom. I still have a scar on my stomach to this day. So I'm at the bottom, I'm six, I'm scared, I'm hurt, I'm bleeding, and I can't get back up. You can't just climb those rocks the way that they were not that close or that stair step-ish. I couldn't get up the other side. I was clawing and scratching, I was trapped. Well, my friend says, I'm gonna go get some help. I said, okay, I'll be here. So I'm waiting, and in that time, I try again. I'm trying to claw and get up the side again. I'm, I'm crying. I'm bleeding. I'm trapped. I'm stuck. 
I remember the smell of the dirt as my face was in it, trying to climb up the side. So I took a moment to ask for some help. And I asked God if there was any way to help me get out of that situation, I would appreciate that in my six-year-old mind. So after a while, my friend, who I was very lucky, had four big older brothers. Exactly. <laughs> and looking down the ravine, if I had gone down a few hundred yards, I might have been able to get out. But his brothers all linked arms and made this human chain. The top one grabbed this tree and the others were arm in arm about halfway down the ravine, enough that I could run up and grab and they pulled me up and out. I had asked for help. God granted me that at that time. Does that always work? Of course it doesn't. I have prayed, I don't know how many times, for myself, for others, in times where I needed God's help and it didn't work out that way. If you've ever taken a test, as they say, there's prayer in school. You have asked God for help at whatever level. We often ask for help for others in our lives, family, friends, larger situations in our community, in our country, in the world as we should. Help me, help me, help me, help us, help us, help us, And Lamont says. And that's right. Hannah started with that prayer. God, help me. I don't know what else to do. You can do this. Only you can. Don't leave me alone to suffer in this silence. And God honored this request. God does not always. Does that mean God isn't there? No. Does that mean that God doesn't exist? Of course not. Sometimes God intervenes where God wills. Sometimes God's timing is different than we would like. Patience is so hard, especially when people are hurting and we can't seem to get them any help. But here, Hannah asks and God fulfills. She makes a deal with him. God, if you just make this happen, I will do this, this, and this. Lottery, folks, anybody? God, if you, whoa, it's up there. We're up to 300 million. And, and, and I'll, I'll do great things with it if you just let me win. I'll feed the hungry. I'll clothe the naked. I'll give them houses with a little cut for myself on the side. We may have made similar deals. Or more serious, Lord, take the suffering away. Tell me what you want me to do. I will do it. Nobody should live in this hurt, this pain, this suffering, in this darkness. And again, sometimes God responds to us in a way that we know, and sometimes God does not, but God is always there, and you are never left alone. Would Hannah's faith have been as strong if God did not respond to her or she did not conceive? I believe it would. Someone with this kind of faith is gonna remain faithful even when things don't go their way. That is a challenge for us. Help me, help me, help me. So from here, 
She starts in the beginning with God is exalted. God is amazing. God does all this. It's kind of thank you and wow together. Only God could do this. God is our rock. And this whole way, as I mentioned before, Samuel starts the monarchy for Israel. So the kings are starting here. Both Hannah and Israel are in a similar place. They need their fortune to be reversed. Israel has been away. They're looking for God to bring them back and give them a future with this monarchy, with this line that will continue on. And with Hannah, she needed her fortunes reversed so that she could conceive when she could not originally. The rest of this middle portion is all about the reversal of fortune. Those who were poor being rich, those who are rich being poor, the needy being lifted from the ash heap, the hungry being fed, and talks about how personal and intimate God is with every one of us and with all of us collectively. God kills, God gives life. God raises up, God is in Sheol, and God raises up. Sheol is, is the place of the dead. There's no heaven and hell concept yet, but Sheol is that concept, is the place where you go when you die. It is neutral. It is not heaven nor hell. It's just where you go when you die. God is there and God brings life. She gives these juxtapositions of opposite ends. One of them being the barren woman, woman was given seven children and she had, we think, five or six. And in this whole process, again, letting us know that God is intimate with us in our daily journey. God is not, as the divine Miss Bet says, from a distance. Love her, great song, not great theology. God is not in some cosmic planet looking down on little earth that God created. God is here with us. That is clear through God's intentions, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. God does not look at us and judge us from a distance. God walks with us and loves us every day. So here we have the thank you. She's saying thank you to God as she exalts God. As she lifts up all these reversal of fortunes, she is one of them. And here's my story there. So a few years ago, my family's in Montreat, North Carolina. We are hiking in the mountains of Western North Carolina, beautiful area. We're usually there with a conference or stuff going on, not today. Today we are on our own, the four of us are together. We are hiking, which we love to do. No schedule, just doing it. So we're going up the main trail, lookout trail, and there's a little road that goes over. And having grown up there some in the summer, I wanted to go down that trail, so we did. So we're going down the trail and at one point, and I remember this from from being a kid. It goes over a little creek that is angled down the side of the mountain. The path goes, there's this creek about three feet wide. It's rock at this point, covered in moss, ivy. You know how slimy rocks that live in water are. If you've ever tried to rock hop or fish or walk in a stream, you're gonna slide. Very slippery. So I straddle. I'm on both sides, get my first daughter, Hannah. I help her across, and as 
I pull my leg over to help Hannah get her footing. I look back and Abby, my younger, she's seven or eight at this point. She kind of calms, calms, climbs into the middle and kind of sits down on her knees. I'm like, what, what are you doing? She didn't wait for me. She's on this slippery rock by herself. And I look down and it is off the side of the mountain. And so I grab her quickly and I pull her over. I grab my wife and pull her over. And to this day, I don't think she understands how close she came to dying and maybe even taking me with her. That was a thank you to God. I even went back and put my foot on the rock and it was slick and slippery. I don't know how she stood in the middle of it and didn't slide down the side of the mountain. I don't know. Since then, they've put up a little walkway over it so people will not almost die. That was my thank you. Have you ever said thank you to God? Of course you have. I hope you have. It's easy to figure out both large and small. Here, Hannah was thanking God for a miraculous intervention, something that changed her life. She lived up to her bargain. Thank you. And so finally, the wow. She started with wow and she ends with wow. She ends with wow talking about God in heaven, being the God of thunder, God will judge. God's awesome power and supreme majesty. And here's my quick story on wow, as of late. So last week I went home for my daughter's fifth grade graduation. And we decide because we have one day left on a former Disney trip, we'd make a run for it. So the three of us, my fourth daughter in Montreat now, so my daughter, younger daughter Abby and my wife and I, we run to the animal kingdom we're in line at one of the other venues and it's taking forever and we're complaining. And then as soon as we get up there, the manager comes over, whispers in the agent's ear and says, would you like to go to the Animal Kingdom Lodge instead of this one? We were in kind of the lower scale uh, uh, preacher version of the, the nicer Disney places. And we said, is, there, is this some kind of trick? Why would we not want to do that? And so I said, okay, absolutely. So they, they had had three cancellations and called right at the time that we were there. We won the little Disney lottery. So we went to the Magic, uh, to the Animal Kingdom. Gorgeous, gorgeous if y'all have been there. African themed, dark wood, uh, and the animals are all around this hotel, the Jumbo House. They have kind of a preserved sanctuary. It's kind of like a big zoo, but it feels a little more wilder. Giraffes, you know, you sit on your balcony in the morning where we were, they were all there. All different kind of animals, really cool. So the wow for me came once we were back in the park and we're riding rides and we're seeing animals and we're doing the thing. And I don't think we were in any line where we didn't hear another language or meet people from another country. Disney is one of those amazing places where people come from all over the world and you get to meet them and you, you see uh, Muslims and Jews and Hindu and Christians all 
with Mickey Mouse stuff on and the parents are trying to not go crazy because the kid doesn't want to do this, but they're happy and they are all trying to do the same thing. And you think, how amazing is it that God made us in this world so large and so diverse and yet so small in common that we have so much in common with these folks that seem so different. That was my wow to remind me that there is a big old world out there and a lot of amazing people in it, and we, I need to do a better job at getting out and meeting some of them. Sometimes that's scary and detrimental. Most of the time it is educational, instructive, and reminding us that we are all God's children. So that was my wow for my trip as of late. What has your wow been? That Isaiah moment we talked about, that God may have come to you somewhere, maybe on the side of a mountain, maybe on a kayak in the river, maybe on that hiking trail, maybe with your family, maybe it's worship, maybe it's Sunday school. We need not forget the wow of God that is present with us. So as we allow Hannah to instruct us today, she reminds us that we are to ask for help, we are to give thanks, and we are not to forget the wow and majesty of God. Sometimes it will work for us in a way that we will be able to tell, and sometimes it won't. But God is with us in this journey, no matter what, no matter what happens, no matter what happens to those of you, those around you, God is with us and walking with us. And that is the joy that then starts this line, this monarchy. Again, Samuel will bring Saul in and David and begin what will become this rich tradition that leads us to Christ. Help me, help me, help me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and wow. Let us go pray as we live. Hallelujah. Amen.